Welcome to Job Sharing and Beyond, the future of work podcast that goes beyond the traditional nine to five. I am Karen Tischler, speaker, consultant, and host of the show, where we hear from global experts every other week to discover innovative solutions and tips on how to remain a relevant employer in the future. I am very happy to introduce my guest today, Eva O'Brien. Eva is a happiness at work expert. She's passionate about fit and specifically how creating the right environment can help individuals to reach their full potential and support organizations to thrive. Before launching her own business, Happier at Work, Eva had a successful 17-year career in the corporate world, working with global companies like Coca-Cola, Unilever, and Heinz to solve marketing problems using data analytics. Her clients are primarily HR and business leaders, and they hire Eva for speaking engagements, training workshops, and consultancy programs, including people analytics. Eva hosts the podcast Happy at Work, showcasing with her global guest methods to improve employee retention, engagement, and performance. She has lived and worked in Dublin, London, Perth, and Sydney, and has an MSc in Work and Organizational Behavior. It was very insightful to talk with Eva, as her and my focus overlap in the future of work aspect of employment. While Eva looks at workplace fit from many different angles, including flexible work, my focus is all about flexible work, from who it benefits to the different types and more. Together, we aim to create more inclusive and diverse work environments, leading to more employee retention and better financial results. Welcome to the podcast, Eva. Thank you so much, Karen. It's an absolute pleasure to be here. Thank you so much for the invitation. You're very welcome. We have a lot of people from all over the world listening to us today. So could you tell them where you're calling from and what particular site or food they would be experiencing when they come to visit your area? Absolutely. Yeah. I am based in Dublin in Ireland and I think I would it would be a shame if I didn't mention Irish stew. So that's one of our traditional Uh, dishes over here in Ireland where it's a mix of um, beef, potatoes and carrots and onions all cooked in either a pressure cooker or some sort of one pot stew and it's pretty tasty I have to say. Thank you for mentioning that. I'm like I'm vegetarian but everything but the beef sounds very (laughs) delicious to me. It was really great to gain an introduction to your work when you were doing the Q&A interview on the October Emily's Past Consulting newsletter. But just in case somebody has not read your interview yet, could you give our audience an overview of your professional background, please? I worked in the market research in the FMCG sector. That's the fast-moving consumer goods sector. Uh, so it's things that you buy in a supermarket, the likes of, you know, it could be anything from chocolate bars or laundry detergent, things like that. And I worked analyzing data from supermarkets or from household panels to make better recommendations to my clients who would be people like Mars or Unilever or Kraft Heinz. 
about the kind of marketing and sales strategies that they're using in their organizations. So very kind of data focused on solving their problems and working with them to solve problems using data and turning data into stories, essentially. It sounds fascinating because I love data as well. (laughs) You have been recently finishing a master thesis, and I've been really looking forward to talking with you more about Mm. it and all the research findings you have concluded from that. So could you share more about that? Absolutely. And I suppose before I go on to talk about that, I'll give a little bit more about my history in work because it seems quite a leap to go from market research in the uh, FMCG industry into the organizational behavior. So I did a master's, a part-time master's over the course of two years in organizational behavior in Dublin City University here in, in Dublin in Ireland. And what brought me there was some some experiences that I had at work essentially where it was like there has to be a better way to help people to stay motivated, to help people feel like they really belong at work, to get the most out of people. And that brought me to then this, to you know, to where I studied organizational behavior. And I suppose making the leap, it's, I'm so interested in data. And then I, I set up my own business, helping organizations to use that data or to use survey-based data, everything backed by research to help them to make better decisions when it comes to people and essentially to create a happier work environment, which would result in better productivity and better profitability and higher retention rates. I mean, there's so many benefits to it, but that's what prompted me to do this research to begin with. And I had a conversation with one of my lecturers and, and she mentioned like the issues that I was having at work were potentially related to this concept of fit and fitting in at work. And I thought, Oh, that's quite interesting. So off I went and I started doing a lot of research in the journals and you know yourself, there's so much information out there. And the more I read, the more I kind of got clear on exactly what it was that I wanted to, to discover or to prove or disprove within my research. I think innocently I went in thinking I wanted, there was so much that I wanted to cover. And when it came to actually proposing what my research was going to be I had to really narrow it down because when it comes to asking the questions of the participants so asking them just to answer the questions but also then when it comes to analyzing the data and the results that you get the more data points you have the more difficult it is to to draw the conclusions and it's kind of muddies the water slightly if you have a really clear hypothesis about what you would like to prove or disprove then it makes your job a lot easier as a researcher to draw conclusions from that so what i what i looked at essentially and i'm trying to use as many layman's terms here as i can because i don't want it to be completely academic But what I looked at was how fitting in at work and specifically how need satisfaction relates to the outcomes of uh, intention to quit and also job satisfaction. So looking at how how whether or not you fit in at work, is that explained by uh, whether your needs are being satisfied in the workplace and what impact does that ultimately have on job satisfaction and how satisfied you are at work and whether or not you intend to leave your job or your organization. When you look back, is there 
anything you wish you would have done more on your research or a, you know an additional angle to have looked at because it, it just seems like such a vast um you know researcher it is and 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 that's the thing Karen so you know when I when I looked at it and I probably didn't appreciate this until I really when I went to properly analyze the data using the statistical software because the concept that I was looking at fit had three elements within it and then the need satisfaction element that I looked at had three elements within it. And then the out, the outcomes had two elements within it. So just right there, it, you know, you're talking about a whole, a huge range and a very complex model, essentially. Um, however, I have no regrets. You know, I tried to keep it on point and I tried to keep it as, as sharp as possible and very uh, relating, I got great feedback from my supervisor on it as well. So I was really, really delighted. But looking back, is there anything? There was probably, it could have been a few weeks, it could have been a month before the dissertation was due in. And I started reading through some old papers just to, to kind of get the ideas flowing a little bit or see was there anything that I missed. And I did find one paper in particular that had an interesting topic, and that was related to trust. And how is trust related to whether or not we fit in at work? And so if you think of it like I was using this concept of need satisfaction as a way of explaining whether or not you fit in at work, trust nearly comes prior to that. So if you trust an organization, then do you feel a greater sense of fit with that organization? So that is definitely something that warrants further uh, further exploration definitely and like you say it's such a vast topic and it's such an interesting topic that I would definitely love to continue doing research in that area and I do plan to continue doing my own research you know whether it's through my LinkedIn connections or building up a uh, database of people who are happy to answer questions and uh, so that I have access to that and um, you did ask about what what were some of the conclusions around that and and I suppose from, from when I started reading initially, you know, the journal articles, when I started reading about this concept, there's a few different ways to look at it. And what I opted for was to look at person environment fit. And within that, there's three specific areas. And if you think of it like this, so you have your demands, abilities fit, and that is whether you as an individual have the ability to meet the demands of the role. So it's it's like whether or not you have the skills or whether or not you have the strengths and the capabilities of, of, of completing the role. And picturing a current organization, most of the time, that's why people are hired. So when we have job ads, for example, it's like you must have X number of years of experience, you must have these skills. And it's very driven around people's abilities to complete the role. I think, would you agree? I'm sure it's very similar to where you are. Like you need yeah, this no. number of years of experience. Yeah, it, and exactly. What, what, the interesting thing I found was that's actually one of the least important factors to whether or not you feel like you fit in at work. And the more important ones are initially I thought it was all about values and your values being aligned with an organization. Now I still 
think that it's important when you're hiring someone to make sure that their values are aligned with the values of the organization. And there are ways to test whether or not that is the case. But really, once someone is in an organization, it's about making sure that their needs are being satisfied. And, you know, had you asked me a few years ago, what are your values? What are your needs? I would have absolutely no idea. It's a difficult concept to get your head around, but I bet you that if you're not happy at work, the reason you're not happy is because one of your needs or multiple of your needs are not being satisfied. And the specific needs that I looked at within the uh, within the research that I did were needs based on a theory called the self-determination theory. So it was autonomy, relatedness and competence. Uh, autonomy is about be this, this idea of um, having a choice in how you do your job, what you do and how you do it. Um, autonomy relatedness then is how you get along with other people. But I always like to think of it as well is it can be slightly related to purpose. So what role or how does your role relate to the bigger picture of what the organization is trying to achieve? And in the grander scheme of things, what is it that the organization is trying to achieve and how does that relate back to what you as an individual are trying to do with your life? And then competence, which is this idea of being capable or feeling capable of doing your job. Now, and one in, in one of the, I suppose, iterations of what I wanted to do forming part of the research was to look at a, a take a needs supplies approach to this research and say, the organization has certain amount of supplies that it can give to, to individuals and have a look at individuals and see whether or not their needs are being met. So kind of having a look at two-pronged approach. Another iteration also was to look at there, for each of those needs, there can be an over and an undersupply of them. So for example, with autonomy, an oversupply of autonomy, and, and most people think, well, an undersupply of autonomy, that's being micromanaged. That's something telling right. you, this is what I want you to do. Uh, I want you to do it exactly the way I do it. Just copy what I do. Don't find your own way. Just do, just do what I tell you and don't even think about it. Just do what I'm telling you to do. But then, then an undersupply uh, sorry, that's an undersupply of autonomy, but an oversupply of autonomy is when someone doesn't have enough guidance. So, you know, they're kind of left to their own devices, but they're not really sure exactly what it is that they're supposed to be doing. And both are detrimental to performance. Now, being micromanaged is more detrimental, and that's shown in the research as well. Uh, in previous papers, it's more detrimental to have an undersupply of a need than an oversupply of a need but that again that's something I would love to understand a little bit more about and how to find that balance across across all of the different needs because we often think that once our needs are satisfied that's it but you can also have too much of a need being satisfied. One of the things you've mentioned what I'd love to explore further is so having more flexibility yeah. at work yeah. sounds like one of yeah. the the needs that yeah. people definitely would like to see met in order to feel happier and and the interesting thing is that that's really how we met that I was doing research on Charlotte Lockhart, the CEO of the um, four-day week global organization. And I discovered 
your podcast happy at work because you had interviewed her and andrew barnes and um you've subsequently interviewed more people or found out more about flexibility as a, a potential lever so could you share more about that in your research yeah absolutely and one of the papers that i cited so there was kind of three I mean, obviously, for the purposes of it, I read probably 50. Well, I, I cited 50 probably papers. I don't know how many I read, but there were three that were very similar, but not exactly the same as what I have done. And one of the prior papers looked at exactly that. They call it, you know, very fancy academic term, temporal flexibility, which means you get to choose the hours that you work or whether or not you uh, start late and finish late or start late, finish early, et cetera, et cetera. So temporal flexibility is very highly related to autonomy. And it's one of the key levers to give people. And especially if you think in this time of COVID, suddenly the entire world had flexible working. You know, it, in Ireland, it was the 12th of March. I think in, in Canada, it was probably a similar, similar time actually for, for most of the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so let's say around mid-March, suddenly the entire world has flexible working overnight. And this the idea of trust and, and not being able to trust people to get their work done at home evaporated right. because people had to just get on with it and, and do the work. And, you know, while some people might have been sitting at home watching Netflix, there is certainly a lot of people proving the entire system wrong and showing that actually when you do work from home you can have increased levels of productivity because you're not being interrupted and you don't have the noise to contend with obviously people's home situations are different and and um you know it really depends on, on what's going on in your home life as well whether or not you're trying to uh, what is it they call it like raising your kids at right. work or something like that like there was I, all these different phrases that were going around that you're trying to manage um you're trying to manage the household and, and children and all this kind of stuff at the same time um but i think what we've shown is that it, flexibility is really really important and i know we've spoken before and i know you you've written um you've written about this that when women get to a certain level one of the key barriers to that especially when they get to those senior leadership positions one of the key barriers to them maintaining those positions is the lack of flexibility because they're at an age where they're likely to have children and they need to be able to manage the household, you know, and the stats are out there. I'm not going to say, um, <laughs> I'm not going to say suddenly that it's, um, that, that women do everything, but the stats are out there that shows that it's women who take on the bulk of the responsibility when it comes to managing everything that goes on at home whether it's doing the chores or whether it's doing the thinking someone described it as and I just thought that's a great way to explain it you're doing the thinking on behalf of everyone you have to think in advance for each individual person in the household and um, especially when you have kids and they they can't really do that level of thinking for themselves and you know you're bringing up a really important point um, one of the things I truly feel in order to get to, you know, gender equality faster is to have more male role models who are also yeah. doing flexible work and who are also taking, I guess, I think it's like the mental load of, you know, running the household of, um, you know, trying to remember who's, you know, aunt 
Betty's birthday or something like that, right? And um, one of my previous guests said, you know, men can do any type of caring except for breastfeeding. And I so agree with it. But I think from a sort of like, you know, upbringing and the still the stereotype and even when you look at yeah. tv sometimes men with children are portrayed as somebody who I, i'm making this up like you know it's raining outside or it's cold outside and here is dad walking with the kid who is like you know maybe not wearing a scarf or a hat or something and it really like you know needs to further change and there definitely has been some you know, um, improvement. But like one of the things very recently that came about was that the German co-CEO of Salando said um, he was going to um, um, leave his position and among others, his um, wife's career was going to be prioritized. And then also his um, wife was pregnant with the second child so he was going to do the care work. And one of the things that really was interesting is to me, we need these role models so that other senior leaders, which happen to be still very much male, um, see this as a sign that they could maybe try that too. But there was a lot of pushback saying, well, why do we need to point out the male leaders when I don't know how many, but female leaders step down every day to allow for their respective um, husband's career to continue, whether that's, you know, moving to a different city or because of children. So I think there is a lot that um, needs to be done. Then the other thing is with flexible work. I think there are so many different layers of what flexible work really is defined as. And so I've read statistics that before said that people are willing to leave their job to have more flexibility. And I guess in that respect, most of them were thinking of working maybe a day at home per week. But um, mm. one of the things that I'm still not seeing as much, and I'm really hoping we will get there, is having more of a part-time career. And for male and okay. female people, yeah. so that um, it is maybe like, you know, whether it's caregiving or, or, you know, taking care of your children for that period of time, your career can continue, but with fewer hours, but it's never that, you know, you have to drop out of the workforce um, or that you're having to downshift to a area or position where there is no career perspective and um, unfortunately when you look at one of the negative um, outcomes of COVID and I don't know I'd be curious to hear what the situation is in Ireland but certainly in Canada and the US um, one of three um, women have contemplated opting out completely out of the workforce or um, having to reduce it because of you know, all the additional strains put on from homeschooling, care work, etc. Yeah, yeah. Now, I'll, I'll come back to your first mm -hmm. point first, which is in relation to this co-CEO who stepped down to allow his wife's career to flourish. And it's great to see that role modeling. And I think we do need more role models. Um, and 
what you were saying about why you know why is this so special why right. why is why why is it even a talking point why are we even talking about this because women do that all the time and I think women do it all the time and that's the norm and and by showing other men other male leaders because let's face it it is mostly men who are in those top leadership positions that it can be done and it is being done then I think it's it's something to be celebrated and something like you know as as a role model just acting in that way um and I do know like just uh well one of the ladies who was on the podcast Patty Grimm she had quite a senior position and her husband left his role so that they could both move to Singapore and he was effectively the house husband you know it's maybe an outdated term but essentially he wasn't working and she was she had this high power job in a, in a global company um and and he wasn't working and I do have a, another example and again in in Singapore where and this is more of a friend a former colleague of mine and he moved with his wife who is a senior finance position um and he left his role you know and and he was minding the children at home so there are examples of it but there's just not that many and I think when there are examples it just shows that this this is something that can happen and and I think it's in some ways I get what you're saying because it's like oh why are we even talking about this and why why don't we talk about all the women when they have to step down but it's it's more about making it the norm for men and the more we talk about it the more normal it becomes yeah. so that was the, the the first point and then the second point on flexibility and what is flexible working well maybe that comes back down to individual needs and you know for me for a few years now I don't know how much of a reality this could ever be but for a few years now I thought what if the future was that you don't move up the career ladder in order to make more money you move up the career ladder to um to reduce your hours so the higher you progress within an organization the fewer hours that you actually work now this kind of thinking because it was something I thought of a few years ago it's probably related a bit more to how much you get paid per hour when in fact what we really need to think about and I know Charlotte and Andrew are huge advocates of this that it's a, it's more about working towards outcomes right. and it doesn't matter how long it takes you to get to those outcomes for me it might take me 15 hours for you it takes you seven hours to get to that same thing now I would have to question why am I doing something that's taking me 15 hours and you seven hours am I being a perfectionist am I just not working to my strengths should I be doing something different so for everyone to get the most out of work you need to really focus on what it is that you do really well and how can you be more efficient at work and how can you deliver the outcomes that the organization is trying to work towards and when it comes to flexible working for me you know one of the key reasons and this is for a lot of people who set up their own business one of the or sorry should I say two of the key reasons are freedom and flexibility that's what you want and you envision these wonderful days and you can meet your friends for lunch and you can take an early day on Friday and you're not going to be working weekends like you were when you had your corporate job. But the reality is very different because it's your own business, you're making money. And if, you, if you're if you not out there making money, then the business doesn't make money. 
and it's you know it's your name and it's your reputation and it's something hopefully that you really really enjoy doing so that the freedom and flexibility element of it sort of goes out the window so I know for me certainly when I set up in business that is what I wanted now that that has taken on a new meaning if you like you know it was it was wanting to be able to do stuff at the last minute it's wanting wanting to have more control over your own time that's what it means to me but for someone else it might just mean simply I want to start later because I need to drop the kids off at crash or I want to start early get a, get an hour or two done before the kids get up and then look after the kids so I'll be on a break um for a couple of hours at that stage and then you know but it's about being able to manage your own time but maybe being transparent about that as well you know and sharing that within work so unless you're I don't know, a brain surgeon, then really, is it a life and death situation if you are not accessible for a couple of hours in the middle of a day? Again, different people have different approaches to this. If I want an answer, I usually like to get an answer very quickly. But if I was working in a team, the understanding being we don't have to answer each other immediately. And if I need an immediate answer, I can give you a phone call. Uh, you know, so it's it's really taking on different perspectives and understanding what people's unique needs are and having an open conversation about that as well that yeah i i think that's that's so important and and it's like also as you mentioned um you know the answering of emails setting precedents as well if you are say a manager and if you send out emails at 11 o'clock at night or at the weekend you're setting a tone that that's what the importance is versus, you know, if you're saying, you know, I don't expect you to respond back for X hours or days. Um, and the other thing I, you know, as you're talking more about flexibility and, um, you know, going to people's strengths as well. So one of the things I've heard is like, an example, one of my previous guests um, was Professor Dr. Eleonora Suivinkels, that she was working asynchronous hours to be able to fit her um, work together with her taking care of the kids while they were doing homeschooling. And, and that worked really, really well. And um, the, the other thing I wanted to say, you know, you were talking about working to your strengths. And I always think back of the excellent um, episode you had ab um, about um, the company Happy. And I just would love you to please share this with our <laughs> listeners because their um, approach to ma the management style, I always felt was so different. So... Yeah, yeah. So, well, the entire approach to management is that when I did, now this was a very novel concept to me is getting to choose your own manager because, you know, we had a, a discussion around management and managers. And, and this is, again, is something that's come up on the, on the podcast again and again is our careers are sort of presented to us like you, you're an individual contributor and then you become a manager and that's it. You know, you then you become a manager's manager, then you're in, in, into a more senior leadership role. And that's how our careers progress. And that's how we understand it. And depending on the environment that we that we're in, we get a very clear understanding of what it takes 
and, and how to progress and what that looks like in that specific organization. And I know for me, I was always very ambitious. Anywhere I went, I was always like, how do I get to the next level? How do I get to the next level? Um, without much consideration as to whether or not I actually wanted to do that role or whether I wanted to be a manager. And yeah, I just, it's just not something that, that entered my mind. I just assumed that in order to progress my career, I had to become a manager. So this concept that, well, A, you get to choose whether or not you are a manager or not. And oftentimes people will choose. I asked Henry on the podcast, I said, what, what happens to all those people who don't get chosen as a manager? And he goes, well, they're usually pretty happy about that because they probably didn't want to be a manager anyway, you know, and it's, it's about this manager as coach. So a coach helps you to get the best out of yourself to really help you to solve your own problems. They don't tell you what it is that you should do. They ask questions, they expand your thinking and they really probe into what makes you tick and and helps you to raise your own self-awareness. Now, for me, I think self-awareness is a huge benefit or it's it's one of the core skills that you need to have as a manager. And on the podcast the other week, we we spoke about emotional intelligence and specifically self-awareness but not only self-awareness self-management so it's one thing to know yourself and to know what your triggers are and to know what you're good at and to know the impact that you have on other people it's another thing to manage that and and so the example that Helen shared on the podcast was she know you know she's under pressure she feels a lot of stress she can get what she calls barky so she kind of bark orders at people And she knows that about herself, but then it's what it takes to stop yourself from doing that when you know that it's happening, you know, so she's like, I feel stressed and, you know, she's about to bark an order at someone and she's like, she has to catch herself and say, no, that's not the best approach. Now, how better can I approach this all the while feeling under extreme pressure and really stressed? So I thought that was an interesting approach. So it's about knowing yourself, but also managing yourself at the same time. Um, but yeah, I hope that kind of answers your question in a couple of different yeah, ways. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, you know, it's so interesting that when I was a manager a long time ago, as you said, it was like, you know, moving up the ladder is, you know, becoming more and more of a senior manager. But I feel now more and more organizations are realizing that there are some people who definitely have career focus and are ambitious, but simply are much more interested in being a subject matter expert and maybe growing Mm. on that and becoming more and more like a senior um, subject matter expert rather than, you know, um, moving up on the management side. And um, one of the things I've read is that one aspect of job sharing could be that people um, work together so they split the managing aspect of the job, which then still allows them to have some element of be, you know, doing research and being more focused on actual subject matter expert, whether that's, you know, coding or whatever it may be to allow both aspects to continue, which I was unaware of. And so I thought that was a really, really good approach. Yeah, I like I like that approach. And I think generally speaking, coming back to what we were saying earlier about strengths, it's about focusing on your strengths. And if your strengths or if your interests are not in really 
focusing on getting the best out of other people or really focusing on developing other people and, and, and other people being at the heart of what it is that you deliver to the organization and getting results for the organization through other people and being able to manage that, manage difficult conversations, manage people's moods and, and manage people's personal situations that they come to you with. And it's, it's being, if you're not interested in doing that, I think explore other opportunities and stay focused on what it is that you're really good at. You know, for me, I'm a real scientist and problem solver. I love doing research. So if I look back on my career, that's probably an area that I like to specialize in if I was working in corporate, like doing that analysis, working in a team, but not necessarily being a manager of that team. I think it's a different set of skills that are required in order to be able to do that. And I, I would completely agree with you because that's <laughs> what I really love. I love research. Now, I'd like to go back to a couple of things that we talked about. You know, one of it is really, you know, focusing on the employees and sort of making sure that they are happy, which I feel in this um, pandemic, there have been really best practice examples where organizations have put their employees first. And like, I always love to um, quote SAP because I truly feel SAP in Germany has done an amazing job. And um, one of the things they realized was that they had a lot of employees who are living by themselves and having to work from home all the time, they were missing the social life at um, the office. And so they literally started having online barbecues with like a thousand plus people, wine and chocolate tasting events to really make sure that all their employees still felt they were part of an organization. And to me, it also brings back sort of what you were saying earlier, what's really the purpose and the values of an organization and how is that linked with making people happier being at work. And so if you could maybe talk a bit more about that, what your research may have shown you. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. The, the research really was about whether values congruence, so that's like values alignment, whether or not your values align with an organization, whether or not that drives satisfaction through need satisfaction. And yes, it does. Um, it's not as strong as need satisfaction itself. So need satisfaction can drive the perception. So if your needs are being satisfied at work, it can drive the perception that your values are aligned with that organization. And I'll share an example of autonomy. So if your need for autonomy is being satisfied by having a flexible work environment, it makes you feel like your values are more aligned with that organization. And I thought that was quite an interesting finding. Now, when it comes to values, and again, I would love to do more research on this, and I have my own ideas about the kinds of values. And I, I would love if anyone wants to kind of comment um, below this or reach out. For me, I think there are certain universal values that need to be uh, demonstrated, if you like. Um, so things like respect and transparency and trust, I think some things are really important to have in an organization, but they don't necessarily happen. And this is the, the other point, and not necessarily from my research, but from my observations, 
that you can have these corporate values and you can have your four or five values plastered on the wall and you can have them in your email signature. But if those values are not embodied, if they're not lived in the day-to-day experience of how people experience those values at work, then they become meaningless and they almost become a little bit of a joke. And I have worked in places where the values were just so far removed from people's day-to-day experience of that organization that it was nearly laughable. So when I talk about the values, I mean, what's actually happening in that organization? How is that behavior? How are decisions being made? You know, so um, if I think like fairness will be one of my core values, I like things to be fair and equitable. And so if I see things that I think are unfair and if I witness those in an organization, I will feel that my values are not aligned with those and with those of the organization. And the other thing to bear in mind here is that the behavior of those people in senior positions becomes amplified among people in the lower positions. So the higher position you have, the more important it is for you to really embody what it is that you're talking about as an organization. So if someone sees you doing something that is a little bit dodgy or just something that is not in line with what you profess those values of the organization to be, then that's really detrimental for people's opinion of what those values in the organization are. That brings it sort of back to our example from earlier, how critical it is that you have role models on a senior level who will demonstrate whether that is somebody, um, you know, talking about their child or saying, I'm leaving now and maybe more before COVID, but I'm leaving now, it's four o'clock, say, um, to watch my son's or daughter's baseball um, match rather than saying, oh, I have a doctor's appointment. And um, exactly. And so, I, I really think that's so important. So for example, to me, it was wonderful to see that NASDAQ recently said, um, in order to be listed, you have to have one woman and additionally, one member of a minority um, group as part of your um, a board. And I think that it's just such an important um step forward to really say, okay, it's no longer good enough to just talk about it, but there needs to be some real evidence. And um, so I really hope that we will see in the future more, especially male leaders that maybe have like, you know, job share or have a part-time career, because in my mind, we need to normalize it so that when you go forward, somebody like is in their say 30s and is applying for a job. And if the potential recruiter can no longer tell whether that person will take a, you know, a leave of absence because they are gonna care for their kids, whatever gender they are, then that would, I think, make it far less discriminating 
or having an unconscious bias in their head. I think to a degree, COVID has helped with that because, you know, I don't have children myself, but but what I've seen of other people is they might have someone balancing on their knee or they might have the dogs in the background or there's always something happening. I really like that. And it's not just women, it's men and women who are showing this side of themselves. And I suppose another example of, of the senior leader being amplified a lady who I worked with who is in a very senior HR position in an organization and she was asked like well how how are you today or how are you coping or something like this with the expectation that she would just be like oh I'm fine and everything's going well and she answered honestly and she said to be honest I'm not coping very well at the moment and this is happening and that is happening and you know it's it's the difficulty I think um uh, but that gave the permission then for other people to say, oh, actually, I went through that last week or I'm I'm feeling the same way at the moment. And thank you so much for expressing yourself, because otherwise it's just kind of platitudes and it's just like, how are you today? Oh, I'm fine. How are you today? And as um, you know, and again, going back to the podcast I recently shared with Helen, um, she was saying that one of the roles of managers at the moment is really to de- detect how their employees are feeling at the moment and really get into that because it's very easy to jump on a zoom call for 15 minutes and all be all happy and oh yeah everything's fine and you don't have those non-verbal cues that you would have if you're in an office environment so it's about being able to pick up on those and really ask people in from coming from a genuine place like how are things and how are you coping and maybe being a little bit vulnerable yourself um i I completely agree with you, Eva. And I feel that, you know, when you're talking about transparency, one of the things I found that in the past, um, unpaid care work was often perceived to be, oh, well, that's just a babysitting job and how hard can it be to, you know, run a household? And um, the whole COVID situation has really blended in like, you know, the, the business person or the person in the office to the, the whole person at home as well. And I think it really has made things much more transparent. And I think it has also given people who might not have necessarily dealt with the whole care work aspect before to appreciate much more how much actual hard work it is. And um, yeah. statistics in Germany, for example, um, said that um, the number of um, male employees has increased that actually went to their respective bosses to ask for um, more flexible work to um, accommodate care work that they are doing because of all the homeschooling, et cetera. So, so I think really it, it is helping. And um, the other thing is, that, you know, as I'm a big advocate for professionals returning back to the paid workforce, the, the whole aspect before was, you know, you had people physically at work and then people at home and it's not now much more blended. And I really hope that that sort of reduces, quote unquote, the stigma um, of, you know, mm. having to work from home or, or, you know, having that requirement. So, yeah, yeah. It's not even like you can say it's not even a requirement. You might say it's just a desire that 
I actually prefer because I can get more work done in the position I'm in here. And, you know, to, to kind of go back to to what Andrew said on, on, on my podcast, he talked about offices becoming a place to socialize. So it's a place to bring people together and to do collaborative work. But for the most part, you get the bulk of your actual job done by yourself and you can do that at home or in a co-working space, whatever it might be, but it's not in the office with your colleagues. Right. Essentially. So I thought that was quite interesting. And, and, and again, coming back to the, to the point on flexible working and delivering outcomes rather than, um, rather than focusing on the number of hours that you've input into, into a, a role, you know, it's, it's moving away from that entire mentality and into like, you get paid for the kinds of outcomes that you can deliver for an organization and it, it doesn't matter whether you can deliver those outcomes in in a two days or five days, whatever it might be. It's it's how important those outcomes are to the organization. Uh, and I suppose for, for the person who's delivering the outcomes, how efficient can you be? And if you're not efficient doing it, maybe reconsider the kind of role that you have and, and focus more on your strengths. Yeah. And it's, it's interesting um, when I talked um, to Alex Pang, he was talking about that actually some of the um, employers who are moving towards a a four-day work week, that they are deliberately looking for um, working parents because they know that, you know, like if you have two or three or four kids, that really you're going to maybe spend less time, you know, talking at the water cooler because you know that you are, having a limited amount of time inside the work office. And so, yeah, so the, so I thought that was a very interesting aspect. And um, now along the same lines, and I was curious if you had heard something about it. One thing I still feel that um, is completely underestimated is all the skills that have been learned outside paid work for um, the paid work, whether that's volunteering, caregiving, care work, and, um, and how that can actually help somebody then inside uh, work, you know, whether that means they've demonstrated outside that they can manage big projects or something. And, you know, how can that translate? And um, I imagine that would make people more satisfied as work as well. Yeah, yeah. No, it's a really interesting point. And I, I will bring it back to what I was saying earlier about skills, um, you know, and, and this demands abilities type of fit. It's not the most important type of fit. So what is more important is the alignment of values and the satisfaction of needs in a role or in an organization. So when we talk about things like skills, for me, it's really important as an individual to work on your strengths, to know what it is that you're really good at. And sometimes you take your strengths for granted. Like I set up a business, my um, initial business focused very much on coaching. And I set up a business. One of the, the big reasons was when I moved out of corporate, was that I wasn't really working to my strengths. And I somehow managed to set up a business not focusing on my strengths, which, as I mentioned, is all around research and analytics. So that's something that comes quite naturally to me and something that I really, really enjoy doing. So it's finding that balance between, um, you know, here's the, here's the skills that I have. So recognizing that your skills don't just come from 
the paid work that you've done. They do come from a, a broad range of places. But equally, if you join a new job and you think I don't have the skills to do that, you can always learn new skills, but you can't learn new values. You can't learn to have different needs than the needs that you already have. So it's more important initially to get that fit right with values and needs. And then you can start thinking about, well, what strengths can I bring to this role? How can I maximize my strengths? But what skills can I learn uh, to, to do my job better? Because once you fit in with the organization, then you can always learn new skills. And, and you know, kind of, uh, it's, not, it's not quite contradictory, but I think it's important to remember what your strengths are and to really, to work on an area of strength for you. Because otherwise you become inefficient and, and you're not really getting things done quickly. And, and in your zone, you know, I hear people call it their zone of genius. So it's really focusing on, on those areas from my point of view. And I think, honestly, often, especially professionals who returning back to paid work struggle with this because they've gained so many different, you know, new strengths and skills, but because it has, you know, come so natural to them. And because yeah. I honestly think society at this point does not value it as much, they don't necessarily see it as strength. And, you know, having talked recently to Tina Bruno, who um, talks about, say, parenting as an excellent um, practical management course, that I think helps then to, for somebody to really realize and say, oh, wow, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm learning these management skills, so I, I've already learned them, but I think and, and that's sort of where I maybe struggle is how as a society, can we better, um, I don't know, define that so that people are aware that these are strengths they've learned. Because I think it's too often they get sort of, you know, brushed underneath. Oh, well, it's just babysitting. It's just, and, you know, in reality, it is time management. And so, yeah. So I'm not sure, you know, whether it's yes. advertising or, you know, that's like, that's one other thing I would love to see is like literally an ad about two people doing job sharing or somebody doing a, a four day work week in a big ad to really start shifting people's mind of how many different ways to work there are that somebody yeah. might simply not be exposed to. And then, you know, 10 or yeah. 20 years down, they're like, wow, I never knew. Yeah. Well, well, to be honest, Karen, it's forums like this. It's discussions like this that make people aware and don't underestimate that, I think. Um, you know, and, you know, coming back to the idea of strength, it's knowing your own strengths, which sometimes we take for granted, but knowing other people's strengths as well. And I know we didn't really do that much exercises when I worked in corporate about understanding each person's unique strengths. So I'm very detail focused. I'm maybe less strong at the, the bigger picture stuff. So if you put me working alongside someone with a bigger picture, someone who could vision, this is what we're trying to achieve. I could be the person to say, here's the step-by-step -step approach of how we're going to actually do it and make sure that it comes to reality, you know? So, so it's, it's looking at those complementary right. elements in, uh, within a, an organization, whether that's in a job sharing, within a team, within a, an overall business yeah but being very aware of that I think is really important 
You know, Eva, I could talk with you forever, but I, you know, we're coming <laughs> towards an end and I want to make sure, is there anything else we haven't talked about that you would like to share with our listeners today? I, I think, Karen, I think we've covered a lot of ground. We've covered a lot today and there's nothing that springs to mind that I think, oh, I, I wish I could share about that because there's probably a lot for people to digest in just in, in thinking, you know, shifting their thinking, whether they think that already and they, it reaffirms their beliefs or whether this is a new way for them to think and, and, and behave and, and act. So now how can people reach out to you? Yeah, so my new website has recently been um, launched. I'm doing a soft launch at the moment, and that is happieratwork.ie. Um, so I've rebranded my business to be just called Happier at Work, which is the same name as my podcast, which uh, you were kindly a guest on. And they can find my podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. So um, the podcast is called Happier at Work. And does what it says on the tin. It's about creating happier work environments. Um, I'm also quite uh, often posting on LinkedIn. So if people want to connect with me there and I'll spell out my name because it's a little bit of an unusual one. It's an Irish name. So it's Aoife and it's spelled A-O-I-F-E. Uh, and my surname is O'Brien. So you'll find me on LinkedIn as well. Um, I'm on Twitter, happier at work HQ. I wouldn't be on Twitter as much as I am on LinkedIn, but I'm on, I'm on Twitter as well. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Eva, for being part of our show today. It was just so wonderful to hear all your research and all your insights and experiences. So thank you. Thank you. It was such a privilege to be able to share it. I, I love nothing more than talking about the research that I've done and I'm so passionate about it. So thank you very much for the opportunity, Karen. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to the show. We hope you gained valuable insights and new ideas. To keep listening to future episodes, please head over to iTunes or your favorite player and subscribe and give it a rating. We would very much appreciate a review and for you to share it on social media so more people can start innovating in how they offer employment. Until the next time, goodbye!